I think there are some words that are really helpful when you address mental health and suffering from any text, any context. Thoughtful. So I think we have to be more thoughtful. Um, We can't just say things. We have to think about them before we say them. Theological. um, We really have to know what the Bible teaches around, you know, suffering or mental health when we're addressing it. Compassionate. It's kind of hard when you're going through something really difficult and, you know, somebody's preaching to you, but maybe in a harsh way about suffering or in a way that like doesn't doesn't enter into their world in a in a kind and gentle manner. So I think having a compassionate spirit when you're addressing these topics is really helpful. I think you want to be helpful, right? Um, you know, people are sitting there saying, how do I walk through this? Like, how do I navigate this hard reality of suffering or anxiety or depression or whatever it may be? So I think you want to be helpful. And then one more word, uh, I think this is number five, hopeful. You want to give people hope. Hi, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 174. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is that of Wesley Town. Uh, He and I got to have a conversation recently that, for me, was not only educational and informative, uh, but also was uh, profoundly encouraging and uh, showing me and us like the, the realities of what it means to be a human in a hard world under the care of a God who loves us. Uh, largely in this conversation, we do speak about uh, the mental health of the preacher, uh, what it means to, to mind yourself and to steward the resource of the life and the brain and the body that God has given to you. But not only looking after ourselves uh, as preachers and teachers, for those of us who are pastors, uh, we're called to care for others as well. And what are the the most responsible and the least responsible ways to address mental health from the pulpit? It's a really great conversation. Thank you for taking time to listen to it. I know that you and your hearers will benefit from it. Well, this episode is brought to you by the CGN International Conference, which is coming up very soon. It's taking place in person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, uh, June 28th to July 1st, from a Monday to a Thursday. Uh, This conference is taking place both in person and online. And uh, I I really want to encourage you uh, to find a way to make it to one of those venues the in-person or the online. Let me just say, I know that the team at CGN is not just going to throw on a webcam and have a broadcast that goes out simultaneously. Uh, They have put a lot of work into making the online experience uh, very good. There's actually like exclusive content that only exists for the online viewers. There's going to be exclusive interviews that are only available to the online viewers. Uh, In fact, one of them is me. Um, I give a message uh, about failure in light of the gospel. How does Jesus deal with us in our personal failures? 
so if you're watching online, you get exclusive content sermon from, from me. But if you come in person, even better, uh, you get to hear from fellow Expositors Collective Steering Committee member, Nick Cady. He's going to be doing a workshop on preaching and teaching gospel-centered expository sermons. And I know that you're into that. So that's a reason to come in person. He'll be joined with Gavin Ortland, Ed Stetzer, Alan Hirsch, and many others. So I'm going to allow uh, George Scanlon to invite you to the CGN International Conference, which is coming up very soon. And then immediately following, you're going to get to hear myself and Wesley Town speak about being human in a hard world. The theme of the 2021 CGN International Conference is The Way of Jesus. This past year has presented challenges that transcend society and culture, but it didn't change the mission of God to rescue His alienated creation via the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we press into the way of Jesus, we want to approach culture the way that Jesus did. Concepts like human dignity, justice, wisdom, and power are at the forefront of conversations in our culture like never before. Are we understanding and engaging in this dialogue from a worldly definition of these ideas, or do we operate according to the model, message, and method that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? Joining us this year as we dialogue about the way of Jesus are Gavin Ortland, author and missiologist Alan Hirsch, John Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church in Glen Arden, Maryland, author and YouTube host Beckett Cook, missionary and Bible College director Pam Markey, and many more. Sessions will feature live dialogues and Q&As with the speakers and our interactive, in-person, and online specialized training tracks focus on various aspects of ministry leadership, including the posture of the church in an age of hate, the way of Jesus in a sexually broken culture, spiritual health for spiritual leadership, women in the way of Jesus, and more. The CGN International Conference will be online and in-person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from June 28th through July 1st. Registration is open to pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, volunteers, men, women, anyone called to serve Christ and His kingdom. To register and for more information, visit our website at conference.calvarychapel.com. That's conference.calvarychapel.com. We hope to see you there. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm thrilled to be able to speak to uh, Wesley Town. Wesley, uh, good morning. Uh, Welcome aboard. So glad to be here with you. You're doing an amazing work, and I just love your podcast. My goodness, I love it too. So that's great. <laughs> um, uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, glad to glad to have you on. You said you just got back from a run. If I if I may ask, how far did you go? Yes. What'd you see? I run five to six days a week. Uh, it's part of just keeping myself healthy and active. And so I I run on a treadmill every morning. Read my Bible and memorize scripture and run. So usually about 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. Simultaneously, are you reading while running? Yeah, reading while running. Wow. Wow. That's that's great. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was, uh, I used to run and uh, one of my final runs, I uh, was running uh, crossing the street and got hit by a car. So uh, I am a big fan of um, running and not reading at the same time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Now that's a story. It is for another conversation in, in another podcast, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that's my, I'm, I'm, I, I always, I want to get back to running, but it's a, 
it's a it's fraught with danger. So good job running indoors in place. Hey, here's a, here's a pivot. Um, Wesley, what was your first sermon that you ever you ever preached? Uh, I always love to start the conversations with that. It's a great way to even to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, when's the first time that you taught the Bible? First time I taught the Bible, I was in high school. My senior year, I started a Bible study. Uh, I didn't walk with Jesus all of high school, but the latter half I did. And I was an athlete. And at that point, I was known for just being an arrogant athlete. Nobody would know that I was a follower of Jesus. Mm. And so my senior year, God was really working on my life. And I started going to this church called Applegate Christian Fellowship. Probably a lot of your listeners know who John Corson is. And it just changed my life. I started hearing the Bible taught and began to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I decided I wanted to start a Bible study on my campus uh, every week at lunch, passed out a couple thousand flyers with me and some of my athlete friends. I thought maybe like five, 10 people would show up. The first one was packed. Um, We packed out one of the largest classrooms in my high school. And everybody's like, Wesley, this was your idea. So you're teaching it. Wow. And so it was kind of by default. I wasn't looking to be a Bible teacher, a pastor. Yeah. Like if if I was like on, you know, the schoolyard pick team for like teaching the Bible, I'd always be the last pick, like sure, for sure. sure. And so I taught Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison about suffering okay. because suffering is something that I knew and had experienced yeah. growing up. And so I taught about that. I thought it was awful, but everybody encouraged me that, hey, it was so good. We loved it. So I kept teaching from there. My goodness. D- did you continue to the book of Acts or was it uh, just a variety of different um, topics and, and sections after that? It was a variety of different topics, sections, and things I was learning from John Corson as I sat under him on Wednesday nights and Sundays at Applegate Christian Fellowship. Well, I'll tell you, you, you would not be the first guest on this podcast who uh, was was strongly influenced by John Corson in their early days of Bible teaching. Um, uh, I've talked to people that have just straight up ripped off John Corson sermons and, uh, and, and used them. Did you ever do that? I never just ripped him off, but I think he had a huge influence on me, especially in those early years, just thinking about the Bible and Jesus and just being so cross-centered in everything. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great a great gift that he gives, um, pointing people towards towards Jesus. Uh, sometimes in the most surprising ways, uh, but but he's always uh, fixing our eyes upon Jesus through every passage that he teaches. Yes, uh, and so you taught for the first time. Did you at at the end of that that lunchtime Bible study? Did you think like I want to do this for the rest of my life, or was it less exciting than that? No, I I would have never chosen this as to be my vocation and just my calling in life. I taught then and I taught another week, um, you know, following that Bible study. And I walked out of the math classroom that I taught in. And I felt like God said, this is what I want you to do the rest of your life. And there was a wrestling because I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, have some sort of future in basketball. Uh, as an athlete, but God had a whole different plan for me. And that just kind of reshaped the trajectory of my life from there. Wow. Well, that's that's great. And that was you as a junior? 
senior in high school. As a senior in high school. Oh, man. And and certainly that has, has come to pass. You've been involved in ministry ever since, uh, teaching in a variety of contexts. Um, kind of my next question is, um, like, how, how has your, like, what's changed in your teaching and preaching since then? I know it's been a lot of years, but what are the things that you've seen that you've you've grown or big moments of change in your teaching since then? Yeah, I think teaching is an evolution, you know, to figure out your voice um, and to learn about God and humans and culture and how to fit all of that into, you know, communicating the Bible in a in a context and setting. And so for me, um, obviously. I've grown, uh, but I've also, you know, kind of developed a lane and a grid that I think through when I'm teaching. Uh, first is exegesis. That's kind of my background. I did four years of New Testament Greek, two years of Hebrew, and spent a lot of time thinking through the text in the original language and its original historical context. And so, you know, by training, um, I feel a bent of what was God saying to that original audience in their language and context. So exegesis is so important to me. And I think, uh, you know, exegesis is a science and art. And so we get better over time uh, discovering and pulling out the truths in the text uh, as far as that's concerned. But I've also, um, over the years, spent time looking at the biblical anatomy of a topic too. So like, it's easy to look at a text and context and, and, you know, make dogmatic points. uh, But sometimes we need to look at you know, 30,000 feet. Um, what is what does the Bible say about this topic, not just in this one passage in context? And so whenever there's a topic, I tend to do like a brief overview of the topic from scripture um, to help people get a more nuanced perspective. And then I think another thing that's really dramatically changed in my Bible teaching is just understanding the human condition. Uh, which partly plays into what I do with Better Days around mental health and suffering. But I think, you know, we spend so much time researching the text, thinking about the text, but I've grown and developed in in thinking about the people and really researching the people. And what I mean by that is like, you know, we're not, you know, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. And so everybody has stuff in their life whether that's, you know, complexity of relationships or suffering, um, challenges in their jobs, you know, pressures, you know, and, and challenges within like a certain locale uh, of geography. And I think we really have to think through what are people experiencing around this passage, around this topic that I'm teaching in my local setting. So really understanding the human condition and also building a, a more robust understanding of just anthropology in general, you know, like what it means to be human in a post-Genesis 3 world will help our preaching. And then finally, like for me, um, thinking about culture, like analyzing culture, you know, when we're in a text, when we're talking about a topic, are there current narratives in our culture that are brought to light from that text that we can speak into? Um, and I always say like, you know, there are so many dominant narratives that we feel pressure around in Christianity. How do we present an alternative, better narrative from scripture and the design of God, uh, for our culture and whatever they're facing 
or how do we speak into what they really need? Um, so I, I try to think through those things. Um, and I, I find it really helps me, you know, in kind of processing through where I'm speaking, who I'm speaking to. Yeah. Now, so that's kind of like a, this, this quadrant or this, this four part grid is, is this something that, that you make sure that each four of these topics are addressed like in every sermon or each time that you prepare something, are these kind of like non-negotiables that need to be there? Yeah, I think, I think exegesis is the non-negotiable. Uh, the biblical anatomy of topic, it just depends on if, if the sermon really, um, enters into a specific topic, you know, yeah. for example, if we're going to talk about fear, you know, from a passage in the New Testament, I'll spend a lot of time, you know, looking at everything the Bible says about fear, um, mm -hmm. and particularly traveling through like words and, you know, studying a lot of the words in the New Testament, Old Testament. I think human condition is a non-negotiable for me. And I think culture is a non-negotiable, especially in our current moment, you know, um, sure. trying to always think through what people are going through or hearing in our culture. Yeah. Um, people haven't spoken, like, I guess the name of this podcast and the name of our ministry is the Expositors Collective. And when people think about expositors or expositing, oftentimes that's like digging deep into a passage, looking at a certain book, looking at a certain chapter. And I, I hope that we would never do so at the exclusion of like, well, what's the big picture? Um, so I, you know, for those of you that are watching the video, which is not many of you, um, but like behind you is a bunch of commentaries, you know, and um, I, I, I can spot some some familiar commentary series. But then I see like the Holman Standards Bible Dictionary, like these Bible dictionaries, they could be quite useful uh, because it looks into fear, you know, Phobos, and it looks into like the various ways that that's used, not just in your one passage, but throughout the New Testament or throughout the, the Bible as as a whole do you do you think that's a danger of, of expositors that we focus so much on the small that we miss the big yeah i absolutely think it's a danger um i think we can make really dogmatic statements you know from a text mm -hmm. when we're missing out on you know kind of the whole narrative of that topic in scripture and i you yeah. know we'll probably get to this later but you know, anxiety is one of those topics that we've we've really uh, misapplied and not understood the full scope of the topic in Scripture. Rather, we take one Scripture and kind of make a catch-all statement um, and solution for everyone. And so, I think that I think this this is a part of the evolution for me, like of just kind of a guardrail to protect me from making an over dogmatic statement from a really like you know, a small passage within the scope of the broader context of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'd love to kind of dig into to each one of these, the human condition, cultural analysis, but I, I want to talk to you like, like your thing, your passion. Um, my, my initial introduction to you um, has been through your uh, Better Days podcast, which is on the Good Lion Podcast Network, of which uh, we are as well. Uh, but yeah, I've uh, I, I've really enjoyed your your Better Days podcast, and I know that you have kind of a, a traveling guest speaking workshop kind of ministry uh, focusing on on mental health. Uh, would you like to maybe like 
introduce us to a little bit of um, what Better Days is about, and then I can follow up with some questions about mental health and the preacher afterwards. But but what's Better Days? Yeah, Better Days uh, is a nonprofit that my wife and I launched around mental health and suffering and what it means to be human and follow Jesus. And really, uh, it's a huge part like of our story. Um, I, you know, my wife has a pretty serious health condition. Um, so we've walked through basically our entire adult life with her dealing with chronic pain. Um, she has a major neurological condition as well, um, where she is losing cognitive abilities, um, over time. And so, Suffering has been a huge part of our story. And then I planted a church in 2008 in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, within the, you know, our third Easter, we had over 2,500 people. Um, And during that time, I was stressed, anxious, starting to have panic panic attacks just from the pace of ministry. Uh, I had no idea what was going on, but I started to face like serious mental health challenges in my own life. And I think out of like my wife's story and then my story dealing with, you know, mental health um, as a pastor and leader, we really felt like God was calling us to speak into this uh, in Christianity in particular, you know, um, because there were so many things that we heard along the way that were like, oh, I don't think that's right, or I don't think that's helpful uh, to somebody who's a follower of Jesus. And so we've just taken on, you know, these topics, and I'm writing a book right now, just kind of a theological work on mental health and suffering, um, you know, for Christians. And we travel, I teach on mental health and suffering, I do conferences, you know, seminars, Um, and then I have a podcast and we're putting together a video series. So there's a lot of different, um, educational tools that we're building out through writing and teaching and videos and so on and so forth to help the church. Wow. Well, well, thank you. Like, thank you very much for, for making this like your side projects or, you know, I I know this is not like a a full-time gig, but, um, I think it's a very, very valuable thing. I have, uh, you know, I've even sent particular episodes of the Better Days podcast to, you know, people within my own congregation as kind of a conversation starter or even as a kind of a supplement. Like, oh, hey, we, we had a conversation about this. You should now check out this podcast. What's actually nice of them is most of them are, are pretty short, pretty manageable, um, 15 minutes, maybe this most recent series, a lot of them around that area, which makes it very easy for somebody to get into. Um, to hand somebody a hardcover book or to send them a link to a, here's a seminary course, you know, um, that can be a little bit intimidating, but it's very accessible. It's a very easy on-ramp into these kind of conversations. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for passing them along too. Well, yeah, I mean, my love language is recommending podcasts to people. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so like like considering the topic of mental health and the church and but this this podcast we're not just a generic you know church podcast we're we're kind of for preachers so I, I'd love to take this in like in two directions um, first off maybe talking about the mental health of the preacher and then we can move into talking about the preacher addressing the mental health of the congregation but I think that there's some great stuff that I'd love for you to to speak to 
what what do you think that preachers are uniquely maybe prone to or or tempted to? You spoke about like the anxiety or even panic attacks that you were having as a as a young, um, you know, fruitful uh, preacher. Uh, what are the sort of challenges that you see um, your fellow preachers dealing with? Yeah, I'll I'll make a statement. I think that is you know in line with kind of your podcast. I think we cannot just spend our life becoming aware of the text as a preacher. We also have to become aware of ourselves and our own inner complexities. I think it's so important, you know, that we're we're trained to like study the Bible and teach the Bible. But part of studying and teaching the Bible is we're coming out in that. Like, you know, it's a person who's teaching and so all that is in me and all that is going on in my life really, you know, comes out uh, through the teaching of scripture. And so I think we really have to like identify some of the challenges that we face in our inner life. Uh, one being, you know, discovering our own identity, you know, and being confident in that rather than trying to be someone else, trying to compare, never feeling good enough, but really being confident in how God has wired and created us. Uh, Identity is a huge facet, you know, of being mentally and emotionally healthy. Um, I also think just self-awareness, like, hey, we, we don't have it all together. You know, there's weaknesses. There's things that we need to grow in. Um, yeah. There are areas that we need to steward and cultivate. Uh, another thing that I would say for just a pastor teacher and, you know, being aware is our motives. Like, what are our motives? Um, to be mentally and emotionally healthy, I think we have to have really core values that drive what we do. Yeah. And if our motives are to gain influence or to have big crowds or to impress people, we're really missing out and it's going to, it's going to do damage on people, but it's also going to, you know, do damage, have consequences for our own soul, um, in, in being a pastor teacher. And then I I'd say, finally, like we have to spend time stewarding our own well-being, Um, and I think that means our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and our spiritual health, because we want to do this for the long haul. And so I've experienced burnout. And I, you know, I, I remember about 2010, 11, 12, those three years were really hard years. If you looked from the outside, everybody would be like, wow, success, you know, thousands of people, you're reaching so many people, people are getting saved, baptized, you know, you're teaching to pack crowds. But behind the scenes, there was a lot that I didn't know which led to some of my, you know, well-being challenges. I was struggling uh, with anxiety. I was struggling with stress. I was exhausted on a continuous basis. And it was just this cycle that I couldn't figure out how to get out of. And part of the reason that I ended up there was because I was never trained. I was never trained to think about my own well-being so that I could do this in a healthy way. And, and I think one of the things that I had to learn was that my input had to be equal to my output. Um, so, 
you know, I'm a driven person. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I don't know if you guys like that, but I'm an achiever. We're so. strongly opposed. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> yes. it's, it's come up. It's come up before. It's come up before. So I was just given out. I was teaching way too much. Sure. Um, I was teaching on Wednesday nights, a book. I was teaching on Friday nights to our college students. I was teaching Thursday, a school of Bible. And people were just showing up to all this. So I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And then I was teaching Sunday, uh, four, four times a Sunday. And that's, that's not healthy. Like I wasn't filling up in an equal proportion to what I was giving out. Hmm. And so I had to learn along the way that it's really important as a Bible teacher, not just to teach and study, but also to be healthy. Uh, right. Cause we are humans. We're not robots. And I think eventually along the line, like in my own story, I thought my core motive being a preacher or a pastor is to be a healthy and flourishing disciple of Jesus. So for me, that, that needed to become the foundation. Like, how am I stewarding my own well-being so that I could be a healthy and flourishing disciple of Jesus? And then everything else, as you know, we learned this, you know, in Calvary Chapel, everything else is an overflow of that, right? Right. Um, but for me, I knew the concept, but I didn't know how to live it out. Certainly. And yeah. so that was kind of like, you know, what I would encourage people in, but also so much of my own story. Yeah. You know, I, I'm you mentioned the, the input and the output. And I actually made a note of it. And then you brought it up again. And I'm, I'm that must be important. It, it, it registered with me. And you mentioned it even more than once. So what's what's a person to do if they're being presented with these opportunities? It, it sounds like people wanted to hear you. And there's people that are coming and they want to hear what, you know, Pastor Wesley has to say on Wednesday and, and Thursday and Friday and Sunday. Maybe I got the days mixed up. Yeah, you but, got So those are right. great opportunities. Yet how how are you able to gauge whether your input is matching your output? And what would you say to the person listening who is getting speaking invites left, right, and center? And how can that person gauge whether they're ready to speak to such a capacity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I don't think every opportunity is right or healthy. It could be good, but I think in life we have to create margin, right? That's that's a part of our own mental and emotional health. And I think, um, I remember sitting down with Wayne Cordero. He's a mentor of mine. And he wrote a book on burnout that so many pastors have been helped yes. by. I think it and saved my life. Yeah, Leading on Empty. Yeah. It's really, really good. Link in the show notes. Go buy it. It's so important. It's so good. For sure. It's so good. And yeah. he's amazing. Um as just a mentor to pastors. And I remember sitting down with him kind of at the peak of my own burnout. Um, and by the way, burnout is just exhaustion. It could be mental, emotional, relational, physical. Um, it, it's a category of stress. And so, you know, if you've lived in just this current of stress for a long period of time, your body and your relationships, your emotions, and your mind, all of it is sapped, um, exhausted. And so, I was at the peak of burnout and I sat down with him in his house and he basically said to me, people love you so much, Wesley, 
that their demand on you will kill you. So you have to create margin in your life. You have to create the ability to say, hey, there are healthy boundaries, even as a pastor and leader, even though there's a ton of demand, there also are margins that we can't do everything for everyone. Uh, Jesus didn't heal every person on earth. Um, And Jesus also got away with silence and solitude and prayer with his father when the crowds were pressing into him because he exemplified this. And we don't need, you know, to just spend time pouring out. We also need to spend time filling up. So I think for, for a pastor, for me, creating those rhythms, being intentional about them, and realizing that part of our life as a flourishing, healthy disciple of Jesus is being, and then part of our life as a flourishing and healthy disciple of Jesus is doing. And we need to be thoughtful about both of those kind of compartments in our life um, and realize that those are integrated, not separated. And so the the long-term success of our doing is going to be rooted in the long-term kind of investment in our being as disciples of Jesus. Wow. And and with those integrated pieces, being and doing, uh, which comes first? For me, it's being. Yeah. For me, it's waking up in the morning, running for my physical, mental, and emotional health, opening my Bible, you know, reading scripture, praying, memorizing scripture. Like for me, the being part is so important. Not, you know, not working seven days a week, having, you know, rhythms of rest, sleeping, you know, seven to nine hours a night so that I could be super effective, you know, and engaged and cognitively present in whatever I'm doing. So I think the being part is first and foremost. Well, that's, that is great. I, I, I lobbed you an easy one <laughs> and I knew that you would, that you would knock it out of the park. Yeah. The being precedes doing it's, it's, it's true for Christ and it's true for his, his followers. And, um, that's, that's important. And, you know, again, as, as we're here largely, uh, this, this, uh, ministry, we want to equip young and new Bible teachers. That's kind of our focus. And in, in even previous conversations, there's been language that we've used in this podcast, uh, about how you should, you know, say yes to every opportunity. Um, and, and that's a, that's a very limited capacity. What we mean is, and what's been said in a previous conversation is that when someone is saying, oh, I want to grow as a Bible teacher, but yet turns down chances to teach at Sunday school or doesn't want to, you know, go to the old folks home and is just waiting for the chance, you know, the next Easter Sunday, they want to be invited to speak on Easter Sunday. Uh, you know, that we've, we've encouraged people to say yes to those teaching opportunities as they're learning and as they're growing. Yet to, to live life from that moment on in such a... Um, taking every single opportunity will, will be exhausting. And, uh, yeah, I think even you mentioned even sleep as something like every, every day that we have is divided into times of productivity and times where God has designed us to be like necessarily needy and dependent where we must cease from our labors. And that's not just for our days, that's for our lives and for the seasons that we're in as well. I love that. That's such a good way of saying it, you know, being dependent. I think it's a part of being human is we're dependent on God and the way he designed us to function well. 
Um, and I think that's a part of what, you know, what I'm doing and my passion is to, to really like unearth, you know, from Genesis and then through the rest of scriptures, how did God design us to function well um, and healthy and optimal in harmony with his, you know, creative intent? Yeah. Okay. So, hey, and, and so Wesley, this question, this, this question came from our like uh, Facebook community. When I mentioned that um, you were going to be on, we got about like 12 or 13 questions submitted. And uh, somebody was specifically referencing uh, Charles Spurgeon as a, you know, a preacher in the past, um, somebody who we love to quote and was so eloquent and so organized and so prolific in his writing, but also had like mental health challenges and dealt with depression and some other like physical maladies. Uh, do you think that there's there's room or should we have heroes, not just not just preaching heroes, but also like suffering heroes as well? And, and could you speak to, to Charles Spurgeon and his mental health for us? Yeah, I love that question. Because I think it leads us to such an important foundation for pastor, teacher, preachers that you need to view yourself not as like some superhero that is immune to suffering and mental health. You need to view yourself as a human. And that's what I love about Spurgeon. Spurgeon struggled with uh, depression from his early 20s on. He had chronic health condition with gout and you know gastrointestinal issues. And he wrote about it. He talked about it. He you know, it became a part of his life message. And the beautiful part of that is that it related to his people because most of the people that we're preaching to every week, they're facing some sort of hardship, pain, suffering, challenge in their life. That's just the narrative of life in our broken, fragile world. And so when you recognize that you're a human, or when I recognize that I'm a human, it makes me more vulnerable, more real, more connected to what people are going through. I think we've got to bridge this chasm of I'm a professional versus I'm a follower of Jesus who is human. And the more we, we you know, kind of get over that professional mindset, which I think is detrimental and unhealthy, the more we just say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus who happens to have this gift that's influential, but I'm still a human being. I'm not immune to the pains, the sufferings, the challenges of being human in this world. And that's going to be a part of my message. I think many people have said it, but your, your greatest pain or your greatest moments of suffering oftentimes become your most influential message. and. I know that's true in my life. And so I would say, yes, we should look up to people um, who have gone through hard stuff because that's all of us. And I talk to pastors, really influential pastors quite often, and every single one of them has a story of mental health or deep suffering and pain. Um, as they're influencing people behind the scenes, they're also suffering. The more we can get that to the front uh, and make that public and let people know that we're walking through it and we're learning from it, or here's what we have learned from it, yeah. um, the more influential our preaching becomes. Wow. Well, I, I said this is the last question on this before we move to something else, but I'm actually going to, I, I want to circle back and come back. So, so you've spoken to these, 
I mean, I love what you're saying that like every hero that we have is going to be a sufferer as well. And that we, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go searching for some, but realize that everyone is, yeah, this um, is, is suffering and is in pain to some degree or another. Maybe the question, follow-up question is like, so how much of that should be shared? So, you know, Spurgeon has addressed it. We could read more about it in, you know, lectures to my students or those types of things. They don't work their way into much of the, you know, metropolitan uh, tabernacle pulpit commentaries. Like what, what is the context for like the preacher, you know, quote unquote, being real or being authentic? And what are ways that can cross a boundary of, um, yeah, sharing vulnerabilities and then also just like making people feel uncomfortable where it turns into more of just like a, a counseling session that the church is uh, in, forced to endure? Yeah, I think there. I think you have to have wisdom first and foremost um, to navigate when to share and what to share. Um, so, you know, with wisdom, there's filters. Uh, you know, you don't have to tell every part of the story. You can tell the story in a way that is relevant to that moment, that passage. Um, I do think that vulnerability, especially in our culture, is actually a draw. Um, people are attracted it's, it's to that. Capital. Yeah. yeah, it is absolute capital. And I think that because more than ever, people want to talk about real life human stuff um, in Christianity, particularly in the West, you know, which is kind of my realm of culture. And so I do think it, it gives you more influence and it makes you more relatable. And I think that is health, healthy. Um, as far as just, you know, some guardrails, I don't know if I can give like a, a, a really hard and fast rule book for people, but I do think you just have to think it through. One of the things that I learned is, you know, I, w I was more thoughtful in what I shared as I was going through it because as we walk through some of the health challenges with my wife, for example, one, I would always ask her, you know, right. can I share this? So that was really he healthy and helpful. The second thing is we didn't share a lot as we were going through a long season of suffering because we didn't even know what was happening um, oh. as she was getting all these medical tests and we didn't have the answers. And so when you don't have the answers, you don't give the answers. And, and some of what we're doing now is because we've gone through the story, uh, uh, you know, a large part of it, and we have the answers in our own life. And now we can help tell the story in a more kind of holistic way. So for us, yeah. we, we, we kept things private because we didn't know. And we were still walking through it. We would share some stuff, but not everything. Now we just kind of share the whole story, you know, yeah. from beginning to end because we've walked through it. And that's a part of it, you know, like you're learning as you walk through the hard stuff of life. So you don't want to be the expert when you're still in that, you know, kind of ambiguity of like, I'm not quite sure what this means and I'm not quite sure how to deal with it. So uh, maybe that's what you share. You know, sometimes we don't have all the answers or maybe you don't right. share everything at that point and be the expert. And not to say that we become experts, um, but we definitely learn a lot along the way that we can pass along to other people in our own suffering. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad that I 
threw in that extra question because that's that's really valuable. And just to, to briefly comment, yeah, it's really important that we ask the people because our own stories of our sufferings rarely are isolated. Usually it's, you know, caused by somebody or, you know, that we're suffering like on behalf of somebody else or with somebody else. And so there's got to be wisdom as to what we disclose and even we could be open with our own life, but yet it's intermingled with others. And so want to be careful with how we share what happens with so-and-so and how that impacts you because so-and-so might be in the room. Yes. Okay. Speaking of those in the room, <laughs> uh, we, we spent a long time talking about our own, our own hearts as, as preachers and the, the challenges and blessings. Um, how, how can we responsibly address mental health uh, from the pulpit? Um, help us with that, Wesley. Here's, here's some words that I would use. You know, if you're, if you're a pastor and you're preaching and you're influencing people that have real challenges, which is everyone, um, I think there's some words that are really helpful when you address mental health and suffering from any text, any context. Okay. Thoughtful. So I think we have to be more thoughtful. Um, we can't just say things. We have to think about them before we say them. Theological. Um, we really have to know what the Bible teaches around, you know, suffering or mental health when we're addressing it. Compassionate. It's kind of hard when you're going through something really difficult and, you know, somebody's preaching to you but maybe in a harsh way about suffering or in a way that like doesn't, doesn't enter into their world in a, in a kind and gentle manner. So I think having a compassionate spirit when you're addressing these topics is really helpful. I think you want to be helpful, right? Um, you know, people are sitting there saying, how do I walk through this? Like, yeah. how do I navigate this hard reality of suffering or anxiety or depression or whatever it may be. So I think you want to be helpful. And then one more word, uh, I think this is number five, hopeful. You want to give people hope. Um, mm -hmm. Now, hope is not this cliche optimism. Hope is not toxic positivity. Um, hope is balanced. It's honest and it's future, right? It's honest with the present. So hope is we are grieving, but we are also confident in a better future with Jesus. But we don't dismiss the present pain of people. And I tend to hear hope in that light too much in Christianity, where it's all about optimism and what's going to be in the future. But we tend to kind of be dismissive about the present reality people are facing. I think a great text that does this so well is Paul in Romans chapter eight, where he's like, you know, basically the future glory is going to outweigh the present sufferings. And we're like, oh yes, that's amazing, Paul. But what about what I'm facing right now? And then in 22 and 23 of Romans chapter eight, he gets into the fact that in the present though, although we're looking forward to hope patiently, we're groaning. And it's hard. And sometimes we can't even, you know, create the language to express what we're going through. So our soul just sighs and groans and laments in the present. So I think being hopeful is helpful, but don't be a hopeful in a way that kind of 
overshadows or dismisses people's pain. So those are five words that, that are helpful. Yeah. Is that, the, is that the toxic positivity? Yeah. I'm not familiar with that phrase, toxic positivity, but it sounds like that. Is that it? Yeah. Toxic positivity is basically this kind of mindset that everything is good. Everything needs to be put in a positive light, but that's mm. not real life. And that's not the mm. real human experience. And so we have to be honest about where we're at in the present. And so you have to lean into that with people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Those are some, some valuable and some great, great words. Um, another question that we have uh, from our, our Facebook group is uh, when we address these issues from the pulpit, and, and again, I don't want to imply that like mental health is one issue or one one um, static thing. I realize it's, it's a lot of it, a lot of things, but someone asked this question. Um, it often there is a distinction between like sin caused issues, either a person's own sin or sins committed against them, and then also just like developmental issues. Um, a, do you agree with that? And then also B, how can that be addressed? Yeah, let me answer that question in a very nuanced way. Okay, yes. The question has some assumptions with it, doesn't it? Yes. So mental health is complex, right? Mental health is not just the life of the mind. It's the life of the mind, the emotions. Um, it's the life of my social you know, spheres, whether that's, you know, social like society, my relationships with human, it's also the life of my spiritual health. So there's many components to mental health. You've got mind, emotions, relationships, and, you know, my own spiritual health. So uh, that is complex in itself. It's multi-layered, you know, and to add to that complexity, how God created us in Genesis chapter, you know, one, chapter two is you know, we're multifaceted beings. There's all kinds of parts to being human. Um, you know, we think of like the non-material part is like our mind, our emotions, our will. That's what, that's what scripture defines as the heart. Like biblical authors thought of the heart, not as the emotions, but the all-encompassing inner nature of a human being, um, and which kind of drives life. But we also have a body. So we are multifaceted, but all the parts of being human are integrated. Like, so what I do with my body will affect my emotions. You know, what's happening with my mind is going to affect my body physically. So that's anxiety, right? Like, oh my goodness, I'm thinking anxious thoughts and that's affecting me physiologically. So we are really complex. And here's where we need to be careful, you know, in our assumptions or our thoughts about mental health. Because all of this is really complex, we have to be careful not to treat complex human experiences with overly simplistic definitions, cliches, and answers. Mm. So that's okay. one yeah. thing in addressing this. In addition, we have to be careful not to prejudge a person's mental health or suffering, uh, like Job's friends did, as though it's a moral issue. Uh, right. That's really dangerous. And here's why, because every person's suffering, whether that's anxiety or depression or physical suffering, has a unique context and story to it. So instead of leaning in with an answer or an assumption, 
we should really lean in and listen so that we can understand the story and the unique context of a person's pain or situation. And then I'll add a few more. We have to be careful not to perpetuate stigmas uh, that further exasperate a person's pain. Uh, We do that when we're too simplistic or we're quick to provide um, a conclusion before we really understand a person's context and situation. And we have to be careful with giving spiritual solutions when we don't have a thorough understanding of what the Bible teaches about these subjects. So I think that, you know, those, those uh, guardrails keep yeah. us from making dogmatic conclusions or statements that can be detrimental for a person's life, consequentially, for their person's spiritual life. So I'll give you an example. I, don't, I think this might help. <clears throat> So, you know, when we, when we talk about anxiety in Christianity, we tend to, um, one, give a really simple solution, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're... Just don't be. Yeah, if you're, anxious, if you're struggling with just don't, anxiety, just knock it off. Do not yeah. be anxious about anything. Yeah. yeah. But through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we're like, okay, the answer to all anxiety is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That must be the only text in the Bible that addresses anxiety. We've kind of like perpetuated that idea. Hmm. And then second- canon within a canon. Yeah. We tend to um, judge people's anxiety as a sin issue. So this goes directly back to that question. So we're like, okay, here's a simple solution, and all anxiety is a sin. Well, first of all, is that true psychologically, and is that true theologically? And I would say the answer is no and no. So let me give you some nuance, some thoughtfulness that is helpful when you think through like one aspect of mental health as a follower of Jesus from the Bible. There are various types of anxiety addressed in the Bible. Um, if you study the Old Testament term, the New Testament term, merimnao, merimnaa, or merimna, pardon me, um, you come to find that there are passages other than Philippians four, six, and seven that address this issue. Yeah, and I have developed categories of anxiety in the Bible. The first category is that the Bible teaches that there are normal anxieties that all humans feel. Paul said in the same book. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul said that I may be less anxious when he was talking about sending one of his co-workers to a church. In other words, he's like, I feel anxiety. I have natural, normal human concerns for the people that I pastor. He also talked about in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28, when he said, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Yeah. So yeah, I was looking for that actually while you were talking. Yeah. There's there's just normal anxieties and concerns that humans feel. The same author who said, Do not be anxious, said, I'm anxious. Like, mm. how do we think that through? It, the way that we think that through is that the term anxiety in the New Testament in particular, but also the Old Testament, the root idea of it is just healthy, normal human concerns. Like if you're a parent, you have normal concerns for your kids because you love them. And we're not emotionless, detached people. We really care and we carry what we care about. 
Um, so Paul did that. Second, the Bible teaches there are unhealthy anxieties, or what we would say to be really specific around the terminology is obsessive concerns that can overtake us. That's what he's referring to in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He's not referring to all anxiety. He's referring to all anxiety that is in the category of obsessive human concerns. It's crossed the line from just normal and healthy to kind of paralyzing and overtaking kind of concerns. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you know, Hebrew word in Proverbs 12, 25, where it says anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, that's the same idea. It's unhealthy, obsessive human concerns that become all a consuming. We we start to think in the what if scenarios. Uh, we start ruminating on this in a cycle and that enlivens anxiety and it perpetuates these feelings of anxiety and it be- can become a condition over time. So that's what Paul is addressing. What Paul's not addressing are just normal feelings of anxiety, which all humans feel. It's impossible not to feel them because they come up with our fight or flight response. They're wired into us. He's also not addressing, let's say, a situation like this. My wife, she has a brain condition. Her brain is damaged. Part of that condition and that damage leads to this perpetual state of anxiety. That is physical and biological. She can't pray that out. Like, you know, that's not something where you're just like, trust God, I'm going to pray about this. And somehow this is going to, you know, be solved and healed uh, immediately. It's going to be healed someday in the new heavens, new earth. But for now, it's something she deals with. So we have to think about that person. We also have to think about the person that's sitting there that's been raped or has had trauma and they have PTSD and part of PTSD and symptoms around that are anxiety, panic attacks. So if you say to that person, hey, all you need to do is pray and trust God, and then all your anxiety is going to be solved, and they try that for a day or a week or a month, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh, it's not working. God must not love me. God's not showing up in my life. This is leading to you know more guilt, more shame. I'm we doing are, it wrong. Yes, we are actually hurting that person spiritually instead of helping them. So that leads to kind of the third category that we really have to be thoughtful of and that goes along with those, um, those you know, thing, situations that I just spoke about that we have to be thoughtful about. A third category of anxiety in the Bible is around deep suffering and painful experiences that entail stress, that entail anxiety. That's like Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah's praying and you know, the priest thinks she's drunk, but she's like, no, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I'm not speaking out of drunkenness. I'm speaking out of my great anxiety. There's no shame in that. Like she's suffering. Uh, there are layers to her suffering dimensions, like social, relational, spiritual, that she's trying to like, just be honest, dialoguing with God. And so sometimes people's anxiety, their feeling is just these deep, painful human experiences that lead to kind of the symptom of anxiety or the feeling of anxiety. And so there's no shame in that. God's not like, oh, Hannah, you know, you, you know you're sinning, you're doing something wrong. No, you're just a human going through a really hard time. And we need to be compassionate about that. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for, for, for that. And 
I guess when faced with the 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 oh, what's it called the the bifurcation or the the false dichotomy that's the word the false dichotomy between well you know some of it is due to sin and the rest of it is due to physiological impacts. Uh, thank you for showing us and reminding us that it's far more than just A or B, but there's there's nuances in the Bible itself and in all of our experiences of life. Yeah, a lot of nuance. Uh, yes, yes. And here's here's maybe as we're maybe headed towards wrapping this up, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with you, you know, through the, the better days podcast and have, you know, been, been listening to it, you know, over the past years, I guess. And when I began listening to your like sermons in preparation for this episode, I kind of expected you to be cramming this into everything that you teach. And that's that, at least the ones that I came across, that that wasn't really the thing. You were like honoring the text. You were pe- preaching the text. You were going through 1 Corinthians 15 and, and James chapter 1. And it, you're, you're having an awareness of this doesn't mean that it's the only thing that you teach and preach about. Um, one that I listened to from, from James chapter 1, though, like it does speak about various trials. And you spent a few moments speaking about various trials and you listed physical and national and emotional and spiritual trials. And that was about two minutes of like a 40 minute sermon. So like you're acknowledging it, but yet you're not bending every single verse to come back to this idea. And I would hope that someone listens to this episode and they don't think, well, you know, they're going to rewrite their Sunday sermon to make sure that it's all about this. But that this is one of various trials that people in our congregations are, are dealing with. Um, do you find, is there kind of like a, maybe you've heard the phrase cage stage when certain people like discover a certain theological position and then they want to like cram it into everything. Is it possible to cram this into too many things or do you think that it's neglected and it's not in nearly enough? How, how, how should a recently enlightened preacher address a mental health in their next sermon? Yeah, I think, I think you do what you said, honor the text, right? Teach what the Bible's teaching. You know, when you come to a text or you're in a series, you know, that you could do on suffering or mental health or whatever, then you can really uh, invest into teaching uh, your people and discipling your people around these human experiences. But I think what you said is so true is like, you know, we're Bible teachers. We honor the text. This is something that I feel so called to help the church in and think through. Um, but this isn't everything that I teach uh, every time that I teach. And so I'm not trying to force this into a text. I would say in a cultural moment, like what we just lived through, maybe you do address this weekly because so many people are suffering. So many people are experiencing pain. So many people uh, are grieving, feeling lost, discombobulated, so much upheaval in our life and our world. And, you know, people in this cultural moment are dealing with fear and anxiety and depression and, you know, kind of a lack of proximity to humans. So I think in a cultural moment like us, maybe yes, more often, but I think you do have to be faithful to the text and, and teach the Bible um, where, wherever you are in the Bible. 
I don't know if I answered that question well, but that would kind of no, my thought. No, no, that's 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 totally yeah. That's it. We're we're big on teaching the Bible, <laughs> so you're you're appealing to your to our base um, right there. But yeah, maybe that's just more of a, of a comment on on what I've even observed from from your pulpit preaching that it's present, but yet not this overarching every single issue it comes back to it. Yeah. Now, if somebody wants, let's say, an expert to come and and uh, and and teach, how do they get in touch with you? How do they contact the uh, Better Days Ministry to come and to maybe do a workshop? Maybe do a do you do a, a guest Sundays or is it more kind of a weekday event? How can how can you equip people? Yeah, I was just in Portland teaching at West Side of Jesus Church on uh, Lament this last Sunday. Um, I travel quite often and. So I would love to to come to a church and serve and help uh, with a seminar or conference, uh, Sunday teaching around any of the subjects uh, that we you know talk about at Better Days. You can go to our website, betterdaysfmly.co. Uh, that's abbreviated for family, betterdaysfmly.co. Um, and you can contact us from there. Uh, you can DM me on Instagram, WesleyTownIII, um, town with an E. And uh, love to help any church think through these issues theologically, practically, and with hope for their people. Oh man! Well, thanks, and of course, all that will be you know linked in the show notes. I I, I hope that this has been a good like introduction uh, to to you and to your ministry. And uh, for those that want to to get more acquainted or perhaps even uh, bring you out, uh, that's that's those links are going to be there. Uh, maybe a, a final request from you is, uh, Wesley, would you mind like praying for us? Uh, we are troubled preachers, um, preaching to troubled congregations. And would you just, yeah, pray, pray for us. I'd appreciate that. I'd love to. For, first, thanks for having me on. Loved having this chat with you. And yes, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for every pastor teacher, uh, that listens to this podcast. I just pray for everyone right now who is exhausted, maybe feels overwhelmed by this moment that we've been living through. Maybe there's some who are experiencing depression, anxiety, deep suffering and pain, grieving over the losses of 2020 and 2021. I just pray that you would bring encouragement. Speak to each heart encourage them, confirm their calling, help them to keep persevering and doing what they're doing, but also help them to find places and spaces to talk, to verbalize what they're experiencing, and to find support and help and hope in human relationships. I also pray, Father, that all of us would talk to you in an honest, open uh, way uh, with what we're, we're experiencing as pastor teachers along the way, not just teaching the Bible, but being a human in a hard world. I pray that we'd be honest with you, and I pray that we'd find strength and hope and help along the way in our relationship with you as well. Bless every person listening to this. Thank you for them. Thank you for the good work they're doing. And I just pray that they would continue to do the good work they're doing, despite all the challenges we face as preachers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Wesley. I really enjoyed um, having that conversation. 
Uh, you're literally a wealth of information. Thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for the honesty about your own life and your own story. I know that people have been and will be helped by it. So guys, I do want to encourage you to check out the show notes. Uh, there's uh, links to ways that you can get in touch with Wesley to uh, book him to come to your church or even just to personally avail from his podcast and writings. Well, next Tuesday, our, our guest is um, really talking on some parallel or some similar things. Uh, Pastor Kike Torres, uh, coming to us from Mexico, uh, speaks about the importance of, of I guess, self-care or even just like observing uh, Sabbath principles uh, in our lives. So I'm going to give you a teaser of what's coming next Tuesday uh, with Pastor Kike. And uh, then immediately following that, you're going to have an invitation from Nick Cady inviting you to come to Colorado in September for our in-person training weekend. Okay, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. If you're more, more, more mighty or more, uh, more needed or more um, spiritual than Jesus, it's okay that you don't rest. But Jesus uh, shows a way of healthy. Actually, yesterday night, I was in Mark 6, I think. And Jesus, you know, take the lead on after they went, you know, preaching and casting demons and that. And they come back and share with him what so yeah, he, yeah. They, they told him like, hey, let's get apart in mm -hmm. a solid place. Yeah. Uh, and. They wasn't able to do it, but you see Jesus taking the lead on let's take a time, let's get a time off to rest and have this alone time and recovery. Uh, so I, if Jesus is the pastor of pastors mm -hmm. and when yeah, the you chief read shepherd, yeah. the sheep of the chief of shepherd and you, when you came after a long ministry season, he promote this kind of alone time and recovery yeah. time. Yeah. Maybe it will be a good thing to consider that we need to, uh, and that, 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 that's a true, that we need to do that for God. Church won't be... The, uh, the, this, is, this is so interesting, Mike. Uh, if you're a workaholic, churches and companies will hire you and even give you a raise in your salary. Mm -hmm. But if you are born out and if you are, lose your marriage in the altar of ministry... And, the, and, and if you lose your son and daughters in the altar of productivity, yeah. uh, that will cause you even your ministry. Yeah. So we are in a weird circle of uh, mm. productivity balance with spirituality that we need to develop a, a culture in the church that show others that we rest and we enjoy God on that time. Because for me, that, that was it, like, when I like just sit in my couch, I was, I felt like I was sinning because I wasn't called call someone or, yeah. or helping yeah. someone or study some, something or whatever. Yeah. And for me, it was like tough to just breathe and say, okay, God, you, you're in charge. Yeah. Thanks for, for, for me, for allowing me and inviting me to, to follow Jesus on that. 
This is Nick Cady inviting you to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend coming up on September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This will be our first in-person gathering since the pandemic, and we are so excited to get together again for this 24-hour immersive experience, which will help you grow in your private study and your public proclamation of God's Word. We also have an option this time for you to join us online if you aren't able to come in person. This event is open to men and women ages 18 through 34 who want to grow in their ability to preach and teach the Bible. We'll have everything from outlining help to sermon prep resources. We'll be learning in small groups with hands-on application and help from seasoned Bible teachers. You don't want to miss it. September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs. More information and registration is available on our website, expositorscollective.com. Hope to see you there. Thank you.